Hey, it's Mark Shifley here. You're listening to the Jet Centric Podcast. Hey there, Jets fans. Welcome back to the Jet Centric Podcast. My name is AJ, one of your hosts, and this is episode 87, the Sidney Crosby episode. Imagine if Sam Case had convinced Mario Lemieux to move the team to Winnipeg. Sidney Crosby would be a Winnipeg Jet. Some of you may remember that in the news cycle years and years ago, but uh, anyhow, I digress. Uh, this episode, we got Kishore interviewing Marat from the Boarding Pass podcast, as well as The Athletic. Um, they talk for about an hour. They talk about the dogs, obviously the 24-team format and what that might look like um, for the playoffs. Uh, Akim Aliou's uh, article that he, he wrote the other day, the survey that was recently in The Athletic, uh, talking about a couple players, DeMello, Little, even the Buffalo situation a bit, and uh, what it might look like players coming back and the condition they'd be in. So, like I said, they talked for about an hour, so they, they managed to squish quite quite a bit of stuff in there. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I think that's it for the episode. I will say a couple other things uh, here. I noticed we've actually put up more episodes than the Ground Control podcast, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. So there you go. And also Legal Curve has been off, so we put out more episodes than, than them too. So good for us. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, a couple a couple of interviews in there um, were, were the last few episodes. You should definitely check out a few of them. I think uh, they're they're interesting. Otherwise, we wouldn't have put them out. So uh, I'm actually getting pretty excited about this 2014 playoffs. I am one of the people that would be a bit more negative to the idea. But as it starts to come together, I, I think I'm actually kind of excited. So uh, somebody invite me over to to watch the games because I'll definitely swing by to do it. I canceled my cable. So um, thanks to Richard over at the Blackbird Brasserie. He's one of the owners there. He updated our logo a little bit. He does that and uh, owns a local restaurant. So support local during those crazy times. So go to Blackbird Brasserie on Tache. And again, thanks Richard for that. Um, next episode, we are finally, finally, finally going to get around to doing the trivia. I think this isn't official yet, but we've been talking with Hustler. I think we're going to try and convince Hustler. I know we're going to try to. I'm not sure if it'll work, but uh, try and get Hustler from TSN 1290 to join us to do a trivia episode. So, um, yeah, that should be should be fun. Uh, also, a couple interviews that are coming up. Uh, I'm finally going to get around to doing the Jake Heisinger one, talk about the Winnipeg Ice and his role there in this last season for them, the first season in Winnipeg, as well as Nick Olchuk. Uh, that's right. That last name might ring a bell. That's Eddie Olchuk's son. There is also an Eddie Olchuk Jr. who is a coach at Bemidji State, but Ed, uh, but uh, Nick Olchuk is actually, uh, he played at Colorado College and now he's in media. And so we're going to talk about some other things which uh, have yet to be determined. So anyhow, you got those to look forward to, but uh, let's get to the podcast at hand, Kishore and Marat. Let's do it. Let's start off with them chatting about Doug. Here it goes. Enjoy. Marat, welcome back to Jet Centric. How are you doing? You know, I'm sitting comfy. I got sunshine going on coming through the window. Um, I'm I'm a little bit more idle than I would like to be, but you know, all, all of my needs are met and, and life is good. Thanks for having me, Kishore. Yeah, I gotta get to like the biggest question uh, in this off season, and that's really uh, tell us how the dog fostering has been going over the last couple of months. Oh boy. You know, I didn't have the heart to tell you this uh, when we were messaging to set this up earlier, but yes, you're absolutely right. As soon as things were shut down, uh, the first thought that I had was that I, you know, I, I live in a house alone and I, I had been fostering a, a dog before 
the road trip to uh, to Edmonton, Calgary, and Vancouver, where the Jets season was shut down, um, that dog got adopted. Clyde was adopted. Life was that's good. Great. Can, that's, that's amazing. But then um, I come home, and a few days go by of the shutdown, and I'm going stir crazy. And I realize that you know what I need some I need some consistency in my life and some schedule. So um, I, I got back in touch with the Winnipeg Humane Society, and and Holly came and, and moved in for a little while. Um, fostering was going great and continued to go great for weeks. She kept me going for multiple walks a day. She was my outside time, uh, got to interrupt writing for little play breaks. Um, and, and then she too, this is good news. She, she too got adopted, but I've been uh, alone and Hollyless for, I'm going to say three weeks now. It feels like a year. I miss that, that, that kid. <laughs> Are you going to get back in the fostering game? Is this like a going to be a, a running uh, piece of your life going forward because i gotta admit like the the doggo pictures on your twitter twitter feed are, are pretty exceptional <laughs> thank you um yeah i i like sharing that i for me dog fostering is a perfect fit for sort of the lifestyle that comes with okay you know what every, i don't go on all of the trips for the athletics certainly ken does the majority of our traveling but i will 100 percent be gone for a few road trips per year um, my schedule can change on, on a dime. Uh, oftentimes, I'll, I'll take you know off-season time to travel as well, or, or or write from somewhere else, and that means that it's you know it's tough to say that I would be a, a great long-term, permanent, forever home for these dogs. But I absolutely love animals. I have always loved animals. Get along well with them. And it's just so good to have. Uh, have a dog or even uh, there's a cat I cat sat for a little bit as well to have them in my house is just like the, it, it makes the home feel complete for me so yes 100% I'll be back on that and if you would believe this another bit of good news that is sad for me um, the Humane Society in Winnipeg has all of its fosters in homes right now so people are doing so well in the city with the world kind of shut down for so many folks that I don't have an option to foster right now that's that's actually really wonderful news. And I've heard multiple cities um, are having uh, that happen right now. So hopefully that means uh, that we're going to see a lot of happy dogs and happy humans uh, because of that. Uh, before we get to some Jets uh, deep dives, I want to talk about some of the news that has come out just in the past week. Uh, last week, you had Elliot Friedman on the boarding pass. And uh, last night, he broke news that the NHL is kind of circling down towards this 24 team tourney idea uh before we talk about like how this will work for the jets what's sort of your like big picture what do you think of of the format and the and the concept i think it's one of those situations where you're not going to make everybody happy there are going to be different formats that are technically better depending on what stakeholder you're really trying to please the most um if, if you're going for 100% mathematical analytical fairness in terms of which teams are kept in, and I think Dom Luschishin has made a really compelling case that the right number is probably 22 teams. Um, the 24-team angle, though, it, it covers a lot of bases. Uh, the, the way that it's set up gives the top four teams in each conference something to play for because they'll have a round robin amongst themselves under the current proposal. Um, they'll, which will affect their seating and in, in standings. Um, 
and so they won't enter the playoffs cold, as was with some folks' fear. The the bottom eight teams will be in a best of five sort of play in format to get in. So you know the intensity intensity will be up. And honestly, I, I think sure that the a huge stakeholder in all of this is revenue. And if you get to twenty four teams, eight teams in each conference having a play in um, to to make up those final four spots. That's a lot of games. That's a lot of television. You have Montreal included. You have major markets included. Uh, I think dollars and cents and economics are, you know, one of the major stakeholders just behind health when it comes time to uh, to restart things, uh, you know, if and when we get there. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, there's project, projected losses I've heard of, you know, close to a billion dollars for the for the NHL, depending on. Uh, how all of this goes. So it's no accident that the 2014 tourney somehow includes the Blackhawks and the and the Rangers all of a sudden uh, in there. Um, I have to admit, I really liked it because the the five game kind of play in uh, series sound like they'll be crazy. Uh, the idea of going down to to the five games and the kind of intensity that will emerge from that uh, sounds pretty exciting. My only complaint was one that uh, uh, Sean McIndoe brought up, which is like I would have really loved to see them reseed so that the the teams are really in, that are getting the buys like will also have the ability to uh, to get like the the matchups that make the most sense. So there is some advantage to whatever we call that uncompleted regular season. Uh, what do you think about that? Like, should there be reseeding? I know, you know, you know we can kind of dissect this like a million ways, but that seemed like a simple thing that the NHL might actually tweak. You know what? I actually agree with that quite a bit. It's it's simple and it changes the logistics in almost no way, right? Because we're looking at one or two, uh, likely two host cities for this, and, and everybody within a conference is going to be playing right there. Um, you know, there's no travel consideration. It's really just about what makes the most sense if you're building a sports tournament, and that yeah, to me as well as to reseed. I noticed that um, seeding specifically in terms of reseeding, was conspicuously absent from Pierre Lebrun's latest, which went up this afternoon. And I kind of wonder um, if it's possible that that's still something that's on the table. Because all of this is still flexible, right? It's it's the best laid plans currently. And um, I, I'm willing to believe there's at least some chance that that does come to fruition. I, how do you think this all maps out for the Jets? Obviously, this is better than a 16-team tourney based on points percentage because we're actually in this. Um, I do you think the Jets are set up well for for this kind of like five game thing? After all the after all the layoff, they had the hottest goaltender in the league. Uh, all that coming back. I mean, do you see what's your kind of uh, take on where the Jets will line up here? Given that we we have no idea where any of these teams are at. Yeah, you know what? Uh, it, it's tough to say. Uh, I'm fairly confident that there were a whole pile of bumps and bruises amongst the playing players for the Jets during the um, second half of the season or throughout the season, to, to be real. Um, but I, I expect that that would be the case for a lot of teams as well. So then what else do you look at? There, there were a couple of recent trade deadline acquisitions in Dylan DeMello and Cody Eakin. Um, I'm a huge fan of DeMello's game and his skill set uh, and the way he processes things and and really believe that he gives Winnipeg a top pairing back because Josh Morrissey and Tucker Pullman wasn't working as well uh, to my eye or, or really to, to numbers as well as I think the Jets probably hoped or, or, or project Pullman's growth to be that the chemistry just wasn't there and the success just wasn't there. 
Um, so there's an advantage. Um, you lose Connor Hellebuck on fire. Can he reclaim that? Well, it's it's tough to predict a goaltender's performance at any time, but certainly he's a good goaltender, so that that helps. Um, I've wondered before about Blake Wheeler having a couple of slow starts to the regular season in the last couple of seasons. I don't know if there's anything to that. I just think that so many of the things and the storylines that you would try to to look at and guess and predict are, are just fuzzy. They're tough to know. So I think the most important thing is health and then avoiding St. Louis and Colorado in, the, in that first round of playing. Do we know if uh, all the Jets uh, stayed around too? Or are we going to have like logistical issues of players trying to get back from Europe? I would say the majority probably weren't in Winnipeg. Um, there's definitely a, a handful in Europe, uh, a handful at summer homes uh, around the United States as well. So uh, wherever it may be for each individual player, I, I would say that I think there's only really a, a couple of guys, um, though I don't have that officially or, or I'm not 100% sure about that, but I think there's only a couple of guys in Winnipeg. Uh, all right. Uh, the other bit of news that dropped this week uh, was Akeem Alou's piece in the Player Tribune, uh, which was uh, just an exceptional read and a very blunt and honest take uh, about his life uh, uh, growing up um, and the racism he he faced as a player. Uh, that's uh, gotten a lot of attention in the league. Uh, did you read the piece? Oh, yeah, definitely. I read that. Yeah. What did you think? Uh, I thought that it was powerful and I thought it was well constructed as well um, because he spends the majority of the piece, especially the first, I'm going to say maybe it's the first two thirds or so, introducing us to real lived experiences of racism. And I mean, because some of the things that happen are so horrific and we're talking about a high level athlete and, and his personal experiences, um, it it really just grabs you and makes you pay attention immediately. Um, but he shifts as well. He shifts the dialogue at the, at the very end of the piece towards kind of what we can do uh, both at the NHL level, which he's a little bit cynical about. He thinks it needs to start younger. And, and then in, in youth hockey as well, and in what needs to be done um, by allies and in terms of uh, like non-people of color standing up for people in situations like that, because Man, they're the most horrific thing. And I think I read this in a tweet and I, I agree with it. I'm sorry to whoever wrote this and, and, and made the opinion uh, famous. Um, the most horrific thing might not be the fact that Steve Downey put his stick through uh, Kimalu's jaw, but the fact that nobody did anything about it. Um, so I think the gap that I perceive from, from that piece is really about, okay, here is this situation that has now we're all so well aware of and we all should be so well aware of. Well, what do you do? How do you like um, cover over the systemic gaps? And, and, and I think that starts with people in, I guess I'm ranting now, but it starts with people, you know, like me that uh, present as the majority in society standing up when they see things like that um, and not, and making it clear that they're not acceptable. And I like that Akeem Alou made a point of including that and transitioning from personal experience to, okay, well, what now um, uh, towards the end of the piece? So I, I liked it for, for both angles. 
I have to say, like, as somebody, you know, I, I'm obviously was just like a hobby player and didn't really, you know, experience the the kinds of things that Akeem Alou did. But there was parts of his personal story that really resonated with me playing hockey as a youth, like the the looks, the like kind of comments, the kind of um, the the general like competitiveness and like the environment that was set up in youth hockey. And so when he came back around to saying, you know, really, we have to examine this at all levels of hockey and and not just focus on these like um, uh, marketing campaigns by the NHL, but actually think about this pretty deeply. Uh, it resonated with me. Uh, do you have any confidence that something is going to change uh, based off of uh, his commentary and what you've seen from the NHL on this? I mean, I like to believe that that change is a, is progress or is is something that's progressing and will continue to progress. Um, I think that it's important to acknowledge that there is so much ingrained good and bad in what we can collectively call hockey culture. There's no such thing as one culture within hockey culture, but there's enough systemic and overt racism in hockey that. Um, that I think doesn't get called out very much. And the fact that he's doing it in such a public way, especially at the Players' Tribune, which is a well-read piece, you're finally starting to see a couple of white player allies retweet and, and endorse it, which is important as well, because I think that it's often, you know, just the silence of the majority that kind of gets in the way of these things, um, in the way of progress. Um, I tend to think that, that as a society, we're progressively getting better on those fronts, but I'm not so well educated that I know that. Um, uh, so I, I don't know what the answer is, but I, I lean optimistically because you start to see just a tiny bit of, I guess, buy-in. I don't know. Tell me what you think about this. I, I've always yeah. thought that, you know, in situations like this, the person who falls into the group that is a minority, whether it's across race, gender, religion, whatever it is, um, you can almost barometer it in terms of how many people from the majority echo uh, or, or support or amplify their struggle. And you can kind of get a sense of what where society is at with that issue. And if it's really only, as it so often is, the marginalized doing the work on that front, well, then you can get awfully cynical and say, well, yeah, you know, this isn't going to change. Um, so I guess that's why I'm pointing to the fact that a Ryan Miller type or uh, I think it was Stephen Johns in Dallas as well. I, and, you know, a lot of media folks as well, though, have, have amplified it. And I think that that might be a hint of, of progress or, or, or towards better. And I, I'm just thinking out loud. What do you think about that? Yeah. I think actually the the culture of fans and like if we use Twitter as sort of like the extreme end of NHL fandom, which it can be from time to time, like um, I thought the response to the piece and like what we've seen going back a few years has been um, very positive about the approach to this, like everything from like um, when Tony X was highlighted as a fan at that St. Louis Blues game and just like celebrating uh, fandom. Uh, that comes from different people. Joel Ward uh, rocking like the black girls hockey clubs uh, sweater um, at a game. And uh, oh God, I, I like keep going on and on about like celebrations of 
of of, uh, of diversity and diverse fandom and and players that that have uh, sprout, uh, sprouted up. The thing that I think it needs to be paired with is like then the actions uh, related to it. So like I would say like my point of cynicism comes when I see Bill Peters get hired by a KHL team. I know it's a KHL team, but um, you know it, it's uh, that's what gives me a little pause is like uh, are the actions lining up to where the culture is? And maybe there's just going to be a bit of a lag there. But I think there are reasons for optimism. But I think there's a lot of hard work on. Um, uh, uh, to s- still get the culture where it needs to go. Yeah, but again, sense. that's just like, that's my like, you know, uh, yeah, fans take uh, as opposed to somebody that's really like deeply embedded in organizations and, and youth hockey culture. Um, but I-, I think what you said about there isn't one culture to hockey. So it, there isn't this like magic fix. We're going to just flip a switch and this is done. This is, you know, a decades long process that we're going through. Yeah, I don't think any culture is a monolith, hockey included, um, as as convenient as it can be to frame it that way. Um, uh, so there may be pockets and organizations and teams and uh, where where things are really going quite well and 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 people have demonstrated progressive values and the actions that come along with it. Um, and at the same time, it may be that Bill Peters got hired in the KHL. And yeah, you're right. That is, you know, there should be consequences for these things. And and I think that working at the highest level of sport is a privilege, right? Like it, it has to be seen that way. Uh, and it, there, there should be consequences. I, I don't know what his long-term future is or what the other situations are. Um, but it seems to me now he's made a pilgrimage to Russia. And what, what work is he going to put in in this meantime? I have no idea. It wouldn't be fair for me to speculate. I'm going to back out of that. I don't know him personally or, or what work he is putting in or, or isn't. Mm-hmm. Fair. Uh, so let's track to the before times, uh, because one of the pieces I want to talk about when it comes to uh, Jets fandom over the period is you did the Jets fan survey on the athletic. And there was a lot of really interesting uh, things that came out. I got to admit, I was surprised the takes generally were pretty optimistic overall. Is that what you kind of read into the survey as well? Yeah, it was definitely a takeaway. Um, I wasn't sure what to expect because yeah, in that survey, we gave people a chance to, to rate their satisfaction about the coaches, the scouting, um, head coach, GM, ownership, everything. In the middle of a season that was, to put it bluntly, tumultuous for the Jets. And um, really, you know, Connor Hellebuck would have been the driving force behind the overwhelming majority of their success. Also, just given the fact that, you know, I think it's fair game to criticize things positively or negatively to to give arguments for and against certain ideas. Uh, you know, the athletic itself is is a space where we get to say things like, "Well, hey, it might be more optimal to set up the Jets lineup in a different method or or something to that effect." And then we we explore the argument. So I've I've maybe spent a disproportionate amount of my own time in spaces where um, the positives and negatives are are highlighted. And then the survey comes in and, you know, it's almost unanimous, the, the admiration for ownership, GM, coach, all of the way down. Uh, and it seems as though the, you know, the, the critical voices, and I know you guys do a really good job of it on your podcast, is there's, there's no reverence in, in your guys' case. And that's, that's a good thing in fan circles, I think, in, in terms of investigation. Um, that, that seems to be the, at least as far as this one poll went, uh, 
a minority, um, vocal minority, I suppose. So I was, I was uh, surprised. Let, let, let's break down the the confidence in the uh, kind of administration because there was, you know, reasonably high confidence in True North, and then I would say exceptionally high confidence in Chevy, and pretty high confidence in Maurice. Um, of those, uh, it, did any of them stick out to you as as kind of uh, more surprising than the other? Um, <laughs> no, I think I I I could sort of see the the positives for. I would say Kevin Chevaldeoff would have been the least surprising because I think he speaks the least often. Uh, he actually not not less so than ownership. Pardon me, but he doesn't speak particularly often. When he does, there's quite a lot of uh, message guarding in his in his words and overall you know there's been some amount of success i suppose um he hasn't done enough to to really put himself out as uh there's no albatross trade there's no franchise ruining moment that you can point to it's just steady almost silence uh even though he does speak to media sometimes i get the sense that a lot of folks are happy to have a team in Winnipeg. And there's just a sense of gratitude still, even at this time that True North, you know, that business about the part-time workers, I, I think people are really passionate about trying to make sure there are protections for, for part-time employees. And by people, I mean fans. I think there's a lot of engagement on that. But the overall sense is just such a gratitude that even though that survey um, came out around that same time, it wasn't, it wasn't ever going to tarnish the the fan base's overall opinions of ownership and then i mean more maurice is a charismatic and uh you know um well well spoken guy uh, who um for every amount of criticism there is at least some counter argument available and i just i think i was expecting a certain amount of popularity on his part too yeah i i was gonna say the the reason i asked about true north is uh, is is mostly because the the timing of the survey was was pretty close to the the part time worker issue as you mentioned, uh, which generated uh, some necessary I think pushback against ownership, uh, and it, and frankly it's still kind of an, an issue to this day. So I was surprised to not see that totally reflected. Um, I do want to talk about Maurice though. Like one of the things we've been talking about on this podcast is is the extension, which seemed to be cooked in before the year and. Uh, that made me wonder about a lot of things about how this team had been approaching Maurice. Like, you know, I can say a lot of, I think that this podcast in particular, AJ, uh, especially has been critical of, of Maurice over the years, but I actually think he did just an exceptional job with the hand he was dealt this year. But I was, I, w- I thought we might see a little more pushback about Maurice with the extension. Did you get any sense that fans were concerned about the extension at all? Well, it didn't show up in the polling numbers, to be sure. And then with every survey result, and we got 800 and something, 900 and something, less than 1,000, but close to it was kind of how I processed that in my mind. You know, you have the opportunity to to leave comments and commentary about, you know, hey, what else is there that we should know? And occasionally there were some very acerbic takes towards Paul Maurice, and, but they were few and far between and reflected, I would say, by the fact that the majority of the of, of people in that poll expressed, you know, uh, support for him as a coach and for the extension as well. You know, I, I asked specifically about the extension just in case there was, OK, we like this guy, but, you know, this has been a tough season. I, I wanted to leave fans room for that. And it didn't come out in those numbers. So I think 
good coach or bad, I, I agree with you that he navigated this season particularly well. And uh, at least in, in terms of managing human beings and in terms of um, dealing with all the things that were thrown Winnipeg's way, you can criticize the adjustments in the five on five play. There are, there are criticisms available to be made and they would be valid, I think, but the overwhelming sense that I get is people look at what he was dealt and and say, well, Hey, wait a second, you know, for every criticism, there's a contingency and it it hasn't been enough to change the tide on, on his perception. So uh, that those criticisms revolved around the hand he was dealt, as you said, and uh, most of that had to do with defense. And that seemed to show up in the fan survey too. Uh, can you talk about like where the fans were came down on defense overall uh, and the and the future of the Winnipeg defense? Yeah, I think fans got it exactly right there uh, in terms of what quality the defense is right now. Well, I, the the sense was that it's the number one thing holding Winnipeg back from any success, uh, you know, long term success this season and going forward. Um and, and I think that that's fair. When you play 11 defensemen over the course of the year and nine of them make a million or less, odds are they're not going to be Norris Trophy winners amongst that group with the amount of roster turnover there was. Um, I, I think it's still the thing that you point at if you want to criticize the Winnipeg Jets roster construction. Um, there are contingencies available in terms of, okay, guys signed elsewhere, the Buffalo thing, who could have predicted it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there's no talking out of the fact that the defensive group wasn't good. Uh, I, and even including goals against numbers. I, I don't know how you divorce Connor Hellebuck from the team's defensive success in quotes because they spent an awful lot of time in their own zone uh, and all the hallmarks of a, of a poor defensive team were there in terms of the amount of time they were there, giveaways, the quality of chances given up. It, it, it was all there. And, and I also think that's reasonable. I, I think it's... Um, I think it's fair for a, a group constructed as it was to have the defensive metrics that there were, and then fans caught onto that and, and say that that's the place to improve. Are you optimistic about the about the defensive core? You've written so much about uh, the future of the defense and like with uh, where Hanela and Sandberg might end up uh, going into next year. Uh, and then you know you know this podcast we're the we're the free Niku Central. Uh, over here. So uh, what's your sort of uh, take towards the future of the defense uh, now that we're uh, in in this kind of in-between period where we have some finality about Buff, uh, we have some stabilization with DeMello, uh, and we have some reinforcements coming down the line? I think it hinges upon that DeMello extension. Um, It's tough to look at his short sample with Winnipeg and say, this is who he is forever. But you zoom out a little bit and you look at what he was able to do with Ottawa and San Jose before that. And this guy has been a consistent underlying numbers success story for a long time. Um, unheralded in that way. Uh, various scouts or other hockey observers that I that I talk to are just enamored with his heads up play, the way that he can uh, read a play in front of him, make the smart reverse, give the puck to teammates in, in better positions, and, and basically move the puck with a confidence and precision, let's say, that was almost entirely absent from the back end this year. He really stabilizes the top four by giving Morrissey a pairing, and then Neil Pionk is left to to make as much hay as he can, whether it's with Dmitry Kulikov, who's obviously an unrestricted free agent, or some other partner. Without 
DeMello, suddenly you've got Morrissey and Pionk doing the best that they can to, to make their own individual top four pairings again. Or maybe you play them together and then you've got a bottom four that's un, inexperienced or untested. That's where, where you get into a little bit of trouble. What I'm optimistic about is that there are enough quality prospects in the system. And even beyond Sandberg and Hainala, um, whether it's Declan Chisholm, Leon, Leon Gavanka, um, they're Luke Green, Kovacevic. You can continue down the list, and I'm not saying that all of these people will necessarily have an impact on the Jets' blue line in years to come, but there are enough good ones that you imagine that somebody's going to. So I'm not worried about the defense long, long term. It's about the Jets' ability to re-sign and extend Dylan DeMello now or this offseason, whenever exactly that takes place, and then make smart bets about who gets minutes. And I think it's I think Sami Niku getting minutes, it's it's overdue. You can't point and say that he's been dominant, to be sure. But believe me, in terms of the skill set that he has, I think he just needs reps at this point. Um, I'm not necessarily sure that that's going to happen. So then it comes into, okay, well, what do you, what do you keep and what do you throw away? Because I, I bet you somebody from the UFA group of Kulikov, Bolyu, Spiza, Biteto, somebody's coming back. And the, the thing is Winnipeg just can't rely on a defense that depends on those guys so heavily because they're not top four stalwarts. They're not guys you can depend on. Sure. Did I answer your question? I feel like I just yeah. went on a rant about no, about you, you did because no, because I was going to ask the natural follow up, which is, do you have any sense if the Jets are are pushing to extend Demello? Uh, I, I know this is like a weird time where where business has largely been put on hold, but I would think this is also the time they would start making overtures uh, uh, based on what we've seen on the ice. Um, and I want to give a shout out, particularly to you did this insane deep dive into like all of DeMello's like zone exits. It was like this, like you broke down, uh, you know, a, a couple weeks of his work. And it was uh, it was it was a great read if people really want to get a sense of what DeMello's uh, impact in a short, a small sample has been with the Jets. Uh, you're, you're being too kind on that front, but I appreciate it. I'll, I will take it and glow all of the same. Uh, um, but do you have any sense of, if there is progress being made towards DeMello oh, being re-signed? Um, no, officially when asked, I mean, Kevin Shavaldayoff says it's too soon to talk about that stuff. Behind the scenes, I'm not so sure. Um, I think that I think that DeMello honestly was happy in Ottawa, despite the fact that that team uh, has its own struggles and its own rebuild to sort of contend with. Um, I think that he's in a position where he's made less than a million dollars thus far per season, hasn't put up massive offense, but is such a good player that he's going to get a raise and probably be happy with, uh, you know, if he gets into that 3 million range, I, I think that that's a win for all parties. The team would have a, a value contract and the player would probably feel fairly compensated. But is this actually ongoing? Well, Shevel Dayoff is quiet about it. His agent is quiet about it as well. Um, other than just to say that he's happy or that he's enjoyed his time in Winnipeg or um, has enjoyed, yeah, part of me playing in Winnipeg thus far. Uh, so a long-winded way, I don't know. I, I know there's no way to really answer this, but uh, given that the financial future is so murky, we ne- we're fully expecting the cap to be like deeply impacted by by what we're going through right now. Um like, do you think that the Jets are even going to be in a position based on 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 their financial situation to re-sign DeMello? 
I do. I, I absolutely do. I, with the caveat or just like acknowledging that so much could change uh, between now and the off season and next season, um, the current outlook is that if the cap stayed flat and Brian Little was healthy and his money was on the roster and no other changes were made, I can build a Jets roster that signs DeMello in, in the low threes, call it three and a half million uh, per season, and still leaves about $4 million under the uh, projected, sorry, under the current cap. Um, I don't think that even if revenues were, are, are massively hit, as they're being, that the NHL will allow for the cap to necessarily drop and then just cripple teams' ability to, to cope within it. There might be some artificial workarounds put in place, just as happened during the lockout shortened season a few years back. Um, it might not be strictly tied to uh, to revenue as as it might initially look at this point. I think that there would be other mechanisms looked at to help teams cope. So my sense is that the Jets are probably going to be below whatever cap exists and still be just fine on the budget front as well. I, I would imagine they're able to sign him and have, have a little bit of room to maybe patch up some other areas. Uh, speaking of patching up other areas, like the your latest in the athletic was about uh, our 2C options, which has been a Jet storyline for what, like three years now? Um, so first of all, I want to ask, do you have any sense of what uh, Brian's little Brian Little's future is like. Does he want to come back? Do we have a sense if he's making progress from from the concussions right now? Um, in terms of whether he wants to or not, I, I feel fairly confident that he does, and that's just interpreting his actions. He was around the team throughout the season, right until the pause, and then um, he he opted for that surgery. So. I think the amount of grind that he displayed in terms of, of getting back to at least being able to skate with the team. He went on the road trips. He, uh, he engaged in non-contact practices, progressively worked his heart rate up. Uh, he was doing everything in his power to put himself in a position to have the opportunity to come back. And I think that you, you can read a lot into that. And it's also, honestly, it shows a pretty impressive level of dedication knowing that your progress isn't a straight line and you'll have good days and bad days and it'll look like you're getting better for a little while and then you don't or something happens. I, I think Little's dedication on this shouldn't be underestimated. And then whether he's uh, he's shown the progress overall, you know, Paul Maurice spoke as if he was optimistic about Little being available for an August type return or a summer type return. And, and that's really just what I'm going on to, to say that, you know, I think that there's reasons for optimism, but of course, until the cone of silence around his actual medical um, recovery, you know, gets removed or he speaks to it himself, uh, it's too soon to say. My guess is yes, I, but again, the fair thing would be to say I don't know. I mean, so you wrote a long piece about some future second center options for the Jets to look at. I think there was like twelve different names that you put on there. Some, some already on the team. Uh, some uh, future looking. Of the ones that you kind of mentioned, whether it's like. Tyler Johnson and Max Domi or looking at Blake Wheeler as a, as a second C, which ones kind of stood out to you as kind of uh, interesting for, for the Jets to really consider uh, going into next year? You know, it seems like all of my favorite options come with at least some kind of question mark. So it doesn't seem to me that, that there's a magic bullet out there on the UFA market or, or the trade market. And um, to talk about Tyler Johnson, uh, he signed at $5 million 
per season for, I believe, this and, and three more, possibly two more. So everybody look that up, um, which seems affordable for the level of his production. But he's got a no-trade clause and would have to, assuming that Tampa Bay put, gets pushed up so far against the cap with Anthony Sorelli's contract and Mikhail Sergachev's contract. You know, he could be a guy that gets squeezed out and, and gets traded. He would have to okay that. So there's a question mark. A more exciting for me even would be um, a Michael Granlund type player. He's going to be available on the free agent market. He's not coming off of a huge offensive year in Nashville, but nobody's coming off of a huge offensive year in Nashville. There are some serious issues there. And between him, Ryan Johansson, Victor Arvidsson, a lot of guys saw their numbers fall way off as, as the Predators tried to sort themselves out. And even though he was raised as a center, um, he grew up playing center. He was a center in the NHL. Michael Gramlund was for the Minnesota Wild for the first several years of his career. It's been a little while since he played in the middle. The Wild moved him over to the wing uh, one season when they were hit by injuries. I believe it was, it was 2015-16. And then they kind of liked what they saw. Um, free of his two-way responsibilities, he just flew up and down the wing, was a positive possession player, and, and was really able to produce points as well. And he's stuck on the wing since then. So he can play center. He was raised that way, but... You know, hasn't done it recently. So there's a question mark. One of my favorite options, just because I know that they played basketball together as kids. This is Patrick Lining and Rope Hints of, of the Dallas Stars. I like him as a trade option for the Jets, but also um, I can't think of a compelling reason for the Dallas Stars to to trade him away at 23 years old with the promise and speed and and uh, and talent that he has. Uh, so to answer your question, there's a lot of compelling players but everybody comes with the well there's also that one thing about them you know the the name that i was expecting to hear you say but you didn't mention it was just talking about roslevic who uh you know even in the fan survey uh people talked about like the what's what's the potential what's the ceiling for roslevic and i think there was a lot of hope out there that he could become the 2c but we saw fits and starts for him this year um where does he fit into that equation I think he'll get rotated into the middle depending on what the roster construction is. But based on anything that I could predict right now, I would assume he gets rotated into the middle more next season than he did this season. Um, and I think it's going to be a progression for him. What I've seen so far makes me think that he does think the game well enough to be an all-around player, but is often a step behind the, his defensive responsibility or the play in general when he's made to handle everything as a center, as a wing, a little bit more freed up to, to go up and down his lane. And all of a sudden he's back checking like crazy. His, his life is a bit simplified and he has the aptitude to do it. That's my, my read of it. So does that project as a guy who can eventually take that second line center? I'm a little bit skeptical right now, but... He did have that stretch with Jansen Harkins and Mason Appleton that looked just fantastic for, uh, it was four or five games in terms of the speed up and down the ice, the back check, and the ability to turn back pressure into offense. I think that that line did that very well, and Roslovic was a, was a big part of it. So there are signs that say to me that he has that still as a possibility for him. I don't think he's seized it yet. I don't think he's excelled for a long enough stretch of games to to warrant me saying that I think that it's a sure thing. I, I think it's more realistic as convenient as it would be for him to just take Brian Little's job and then Little can come back at a slow pace, maybe be a wing, be a third line center, whatever it is. 
I think that you're going to see growth and growing pains alongside each other as Roslovic tries and hopefully has success making that next step. Um, I, I, you mentioned Jansen Harkins. Jansen Harkins was my favorite surprise of the late season before the stoppage uh, because he, he came out of nowhere to me. Like I remember thinking about Harkins a lot uh, and then seeing the production in the uh, uh, with the moose, like I, are we going to see Harkins as a staple going forward? Is he a Winnipeg Jet at this point? I think so. I, I, I really do think so. I think he's similar to what Mason Appleton might have been uh, like a year now. And obviously Appleton had a frustrating start to the season. There was the injury at the Heritage Classic playing football and everything like that. But he's a guy that's done more than enough at the NHL level in a small sample to make you think, okay, here's a guy to invest in. Here's a guy who's done all the right things in a small role um, that, you know, maybe signing a fourth line replacement level veteran to block this guy out would be a, would be a poor decision for the, for the team and the player alike. I, I really think he's grown quite a lot and the job is his to lose um, I don't know if that makes it a dark shade of pencil or ink with whiteout on, in, in a desk drawer somewhere. I, I really think if you're asking me to predict something, he's a, he's a Winnipeg Jet from here on out. But it's it's not quite a guarantee. It's just almost there. Uh, so we haven't had you on uh, since Buff's termination, uh, which was, you know, a long time coming. I'm, I'm glad for uh, Big Buff that the, the saga is over and he can move on. Um what do you have any reflections about um, uh, about Buff's time with the Jets and and how he'll be remembered? Uh, and then lastly, do you think he he's playing anymore? Well, first of all, I think he's probably the single most iconic Winnipeg Jet of the 2.0 era. Um, I, I really think that just the personality that he played with. Um, the huge hits, the big goals, the star power, looking at the camera while he's battling in a scrum, singing along in the penalty box, taking two guys, um, taking Doughty and Kopitar out one after the other, pulling two guys out of a scrum against Nashville and Vegas. There is only one, there is only one Dustin Bufflin-esque player that I have ever seen watching hockey. I think he's just that special. And his big goofy grin endeared him to Jets fans. I would say... He's the one guy that I would hear about most from sort of the casual fan or that proud Winnipeg resident who knows a little bit about the Jets uh, in, in the coffee shop lineups or what have you. He's the guy that would really um, kind of capture the imagination. And I think that that is how I will remember him is, is just the lovable, big, bufflin' complete curiosity as uh, as a character. Impossible to interview, it seems, uh, but just beloved by 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 so many um and then i'll, I'll confess to wondering and, and i i've asked a lot of fans and including in that fan survey about it like does the way that he went out tarnish how you'll remember him and some people say yes so not a majority to be sure but it's worth acknowledging that something chaotic whatever his personal reasons are whatever the situation is um, pulled him away from the from a desire to play with the Winnipeg Jets this season. And whereas you have little battling back from the inner ear injury and the concussion uh, and, and skating and almost every day by the end of the season, pardon me, it started intermittently, but progressively more and more doing everything in his power to put himself in a position to get back. I mean, that just wasn't the case with Dustin Bufflin, right? He... Um, 
he pro- did his rehab to the point of skating and to the point of on ice workouts and stopped it at that point. And certainly that doesn't convey a guy that's ter- terribly passionate about making it back. Um, and I think the last thing that, that you asked on, on that end, Kishore, was just about, do I see him playing in the NHL again? Yeah, on, what's, his, what's his future? I think he's done. Uh, I, I don't know that. And it's certainly just, you know, more a hunch instinct spe- speculation than anything else like that. But uh, I think a sizable part of his journey right now is about responding just to the punishment that he's he'd taken over the years and and getting his body back into a, a situation that he's okay with and i think it's just such a long road between what i where i perceive him to be at and productive nhl game shape that i don't think it's a as front burner as um some of the articles i see around maybe suggest that it, it would be and then also if it was ever about the money, I mean, he left an awful pile of it on the table to have his contract mutually terminated or not to play this season as well. So I, I just, I can't see that that fire being reignited. And, and I, not from here anyway, not from where I sit today, do I see that, um, see a return in the cards for him. Uh, just a couple questions to wrap up and thanks for being so generous with your time. I know we're all, fa- we're, and we're in the middle of this uncertain time. Like we're starting to see some optimism about what the NHL could look like if it returns. But for a small market team like the Jets, for a small city like Winnipeg, uh, and like there's a really strong potential that fans aren't going to be able to come watch these games. Uh, at least that's what, you know, Elliot said yesterday. He doesn't think, you know, we're going to see any fans at games until, uh, you know, the end of the year. How much is that going to hurt as uh, a team like ours, uh, be, where we derive so much revenue from the gate, um, and we're we're a small market team? Like we're going to lose a little bit of that sort of identity that comes with uh, fans going to the games. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know how to parse it out team to team to team because every market is unique, and and I feel like I know you know much more about this one than any of the others around the NHL. Um, but I will say it's a special thing. Uh, there's there's a sense that I get when, I, when I'm in the press box and I'm looking around the rink uh, that during a regular season game or during those moments of, of maybe like relative mundaneness by NHL standards, there's, there's a calm in the building or um, almost a reservation like, okay, let, let's, let's save this for when, when stuff really matters as opposed to those first couple of years when the chants were fast and furious all the time, the Jets fans were being shown on sports center, like every couple of weeks, it seemed like, I I think that things have settled, but as soon as the stakes get raised, it's just wild in there. And it's as loud in there as I've seen in any other building, um, in, in my short travels thus far. And it's special. It absolutely is. The players honestly reflect on it. Um, they, they talk about what it means to them and I believe it when I hear it, like some of that is what you say because you have to say it. And then I think a lot of it in Winnipeg, you know, in the conversations that involve fans that I've been a part of kind of away from the microphone or not for a story, I, I genuinely think that that level of volume and fury from the fans, especially in the playoffs is felt by the players. And I mean, maybe not a popular name around Winnipeg right now. I was talking to Jacob Truba about this just a couple of days ago. 
uh, about his memories of the playoffs against Nashville, especially, and just like what that meant and what it felt like. He says he gets chills just remembering the crowd from that. So yes, that is absolutely a loss. Um, and it will feel different to watch these games. And I think the consensus is, yeah, no, there's not going to be fans in the building for these things for sure. Um, so yeah, it'll suck a lot of life out. Does it affect Winnipeg disproportionately compared to anybody else? I have no idea, but let's be honest. It's going to be weird, whatever they do with the broadcasts to, to put that on your screen and not see that there, isn't it? Yeah, it's, I'm, you know, whether they pipe in sound or how it's going to be, or if we just hear more of the chatter on the ice, I don't know how they're going to fill that kind of empty space between uh, the in the middle of those broadcasts. Uh, but I imagine they're going to try a bunch of different stuff and see what works. So I'm at least trying just to prepare myself that this isn't going to be hockey the way it was coming back. This is going to be some sort of like experimental form of hockey. Uh, and I'm just going to enjoy whatever it is. Uh, I just hope that this period where fans aren't in the building impacts um, what was the best environment in the in the NHL, um, especially playoff time. Um, I, I just don't want to like lose, like forget that identity uh, of of uh, Bell MTS uh, in the in the middle of going through this process. Um Last thing I want to ask is, well, I have, I have a two-part question. It's like, one is, I kind of want you to out who wrote Dancing Gabe as their favorite Winnipeg Jet of all time, because that was the one thing in the fan survey was like, I need to know who that was. Uh, and was that Gabe directly? I know it was an anonymous <laughs> survey. Um, you know what? I, I can tell you for sure that it wasn't Gabe directly, because somebody on some format, I'm going to guess it was Twitter, messaged me. And said that it was them, that they were the one. They were the one that put Dancing Gabe's name forward. And if this is like some kind of joke and it was you or something like that, I hope you own up to it. No, but, no, okay. it was not me. It was not me. I brought it up when I talked to uh, Sean Bakendu, like, uh the, the other day. And he didn't know who Dancing Gabe was. So, uh, For shame. It, yeah, so um, I, I know it wasn't him at least. Uh, well, okay. I'm going to let that go. At least that person has identified themselves. So thank you for that. Uh, I'm just really curious how you're you're kind of keeping uh, uh, occupied during this time uh, when it comes to hockey. Are you watching old games? Uh, did you watch? Are you watching like Hellebuck and Batetto play Fortnite? Um, uh, how are you kind of staying engaged with, with with the team and hockey overall during this time? Well, you know, I was thinking about this just the other... Well, I think about this all the time, actually. But I was thinking about this because the, there was that Fortnite tournament, right? And I I think that the coverage of video game sport, esports, I guess, you know, there's probably a lot of opportunity there and a lot of interest. And especially now, I mean, I, I think a lot of fans did tune into that. It isn't compelling to me. The idea of watching professional athletes play... Um, Fortnite or what or NHL or whatever it is isn't so I'm not drawn to that I think I would have to get a real like groundswell of people saying hey Marat write about that at the athletic before it really sparked that fire in in, in me um, so there's that I I started watching old games I, I went through the 2017-18 playoffs and the Jet series against the Blues um, just to try Ooh, to that's a tough one to watch <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
you you can pull my emotions out of it a little bit, right? Because I don't, my heart isn't in it the same way that yours or the, or the fans are. But still, there is a roller coaster to it. 100% there is. That I rewatched game six of that series, and that was a tough game to watch. Even if you pull out like the, the fan experience, they, they played one of their worst games of the entire season uh, that night. And that was really hard to watch. Yeah, there were long stretches of that game that were, were fairly painful, for sure. I, I would agree with that. Um, just the degree of... St. Louis put that one on lock. And actually, on that note, uh, and I kind of do want to talk about, you know, hockey watching or staying connected. The thing that got me the most about Game 6, um, and that playoff series in general, I suppose, but was going into the room when Game 6 was over and looking around... And there was a sense of disbelief missing because against Vegas the year before going into the dressing room at Bell MTS place, you could look around and just the way guys were hunched over the way they answered their questions. Like you can sense the emotion of a room when it's that palpable. The players just couldn't friggin believe that they'd lost to Vegas. They had held themselves in high esteem and they thought that they had a chance to go all the way that they played very well throughout that series other than finishing. And, and I mean, Flurry was insane. Hell about giveaways, whatever. But the disbelief ran rampant through that room against St. Louis. I just kind of read that room as acceptance. It was muted. It was just, okay, well, damn, you know, and, and that I think, was probably a reflection of the season that came before it and their inability to go back to that dominant well because they hadn't really established it down the stretch. That's what I take away from that when I when I watch this stuff. The last thing I want to say about watching that playoff stuff, though, is I am a sentimental guy. And when I put, on, put that on the screen and there's just fans from any city, but especially Winnipeg, because I want you guys to be happy... Um, Fans in a building going nuts. I get chills at this point. Like I almost had to stop watching it because I get weirdly emotional. I'm like, here's this thing that everybody got to share that can't be done right now. And that turned me off of that 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 trek of, of going down that road. And um, I don't know if that's a weird thing to admit or what have you, but I, I had more ambition for watching some more of that stuff that I had to sort of curtail. I've, I've struggled watching... Uh, I tried to watch some old hockey games or some old highlights. I even tried to watch, you know, some of the Jets 1.0, like late games. And it, it just, I haven't been able to do it. There is something really, you know, unsettling is the best word I can describe it about seeing all these people packed into a, like a tiny place together. Like I, the, the mood, the environment is totally infectious. But at the same time, it feels so like unrealistic right now, <laughs> uh, given where we are in the world that I, I really uh, struggled with that. Um, yeah. And and while I have totally been dipping into nostalgia, if you just look at my Netflix history, you would just see like The Office, The Office, The Office. Um, um, yeah, I I'm trying to uh, keep that tamp down um, uh, with hockey, but. The instant they come back, I'm going to be all in on this like weird, wild tournament that they're that they're going to play. I think regardless of what it looks like, I think I'll be there um, for every bit of it. Yeah, even if it's weird, you put a Stanley Cup at the end of the at the end of that tunnel. And I, and I think that you're not going to be alone on that front. 
Yeah, I just I think in this time sports can offer I mean, there's so many moments in history where sports has offered healing moments, not to, you know, overemphasize like the power of sports during, you know, this global crisis, but it can offer like a little bit of solace. And that's really what I'm hoping for. If they can guarantee the safety of the players and the players' families um, and that they uh, that they can offer like just a, a brief moment where people feel like life is uh is resembling what you know what what it was and and start to paint a picture of what it can be yeah i uh, 100 agree with that like to be cautious about overstating it but for three hours a night it's a schema break you go through your day with one set of rules and one set of logic okay the you know there's quite a situation going on in the world out there that we have to acknowledge and do our best about and then for those three hours, you can put that away. Everybody knows the same story. We, you know, all of the fans know the team um, and, and the storylines of the year. And you can put everything away and just sink into that. I, I think there's some value to it, to be sure. And I got to say, just talking to you now and, you know, doing radio hits, doing other shows and things like that, it gives me individually a sense of normalcy that I think has been helping me throughout this. So imagine it when it's for real. Um, and there's actual on ice hockey to talk about. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm so cautious and I'm going to be the last guy that goes back into a bar or coffee shop. But at the same time, I'm excited as, as heck for the uh, for the possibility of, of having hockey to talk about again. Yeah, I mean, we we're talking about before we hit record about how I, I think we're going to look back on this period, like when the NBA canceled games as having like a really big impact uh, across North America around the the perception of how serious an issue this was and catalyzed a lot of different shifts. Uh, and my question is going to be like, when those leagues return, um, how much of an impact are they going to have going the other way? Is it going to, you know, shift perception that w- we are getting back to uh, whatever a new normal is? Um, I think that that is like a potential power here uh, that we're not talking about yet, just because everyone is being appropriately cautious. But that's sort of my my fan hope that un- undersees this. And so, uh, you know, I, I know that Dom Lucision is right about the numbers about 22 and all that kind of stuff. But the reason I'm in on 24 is I want all of those fans because the NHL is really like a fan driven sport to have the experience of that. Um, except Detroit, they had such a historically bad season <laughs> that they haven't earned it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds fair, but I mean, at some point, you just got to say that here are the rules, let's run with them, right? And yeah. yes, you can make that intellectual argument for 22 or whatever it is, whatever other, you know, pet uh, thing there is. And certainly, you know, like you say, the math will, will support what he's saying in terms of an objective attempt at fairness. But at the end of the day, you got to set up the tournament, hype it up as much as you can, and just push that first domino and see yeah. what you get out of it. I, um, Yeah, I, I tend to lean where you are as well. Have you, have you seen that meme that goes around? And I think it's a, it's like a parody of a, a moment in friends where on one side it's, you know, there are some light restrictions being lifted and then Joey at the other end is the pandemic is over. Yeah. That's, 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 uh, that's kind of where we're at. It feels like <laughs> I worry about that a little bit. I got to be honest. Uh, you know, I think because there's so much at stake in terms of like, geez, money and liability and other things that, that pro sports leagues are going to do things as, you know, as well as anyone in, in this field of reentry towards, you know, some form of normal. 
Um, but at the same time, I, I'm, I hear like, okay, we, we, we're talking about sports now and, you know, life gets normal again. And I, there's a part of me that gets, that gets worried too. So I hope people are still doing the social distancing thing. Yeah. I mean, yes and no. Like, you know, working in this field, like I, I definitely worry about that too, but at the end of the, at the end of the day, things are going to look so different. Like we're talking about these sports returning and no fans being there. Like as much as like tech, they want to throw pipe in sound, all that kind of stuff. It's not going to be a one to one replacement. And so even when you look at it and it might signal some some sense of normalcy returning, I don't think um, the average fan is going to look at that and be like, yeah, this is how it used to be. It's just going to look and feel so different. Uh, And probably, honestly, the quality of play is not going to be there. Uh, just because, uh, you know, the nature, we basically hit pause. These guys haven't been able to work out for for two months, like no one's skating. I just can't imagine the level of play, even given like a training camp level of of preparation uh, is going to get back to where we were uh, when we went on pause. So I think it's going to be obvious that this isn't what it was before. So I still have a lot of confidence that we're not going to see uh, people like immediately go back like, oh, this is how it was in, in February um, and January um, uh, when it restarts. Um, you're, you're giving me some comfort. <laughs> Pardon me. Uh, Murat, you've given us a lot of comfort during this time. I'm so glad that you've uh, kept up uh, the, the engine of articles and uh, pieces on The Athletic. Uh, I want to recommend uh, The Boarding Pass for anyone that, that is subscribed to The Athletic. Uh, or even not, you can listen to part of it if you're if you're not. Uh, do you want to talk about um, uh, the boarding pass and where people can find you? Yeah, the the boarding pass. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it's free for everybody. You can do it on Spotify or Apple, or you can do it through the Athletics mobile app as well. And the good thing about using the mobile app is there's a comment section, so you can you know talk about what Elliot Friedman just said or what Andrew Kopp just said or what have you. Um, so that's, yeah, that's been a lot of fun and, and normalcy for, for Ken Weeb and I to get together once a week and, and talk about that. Todd Woodcroft was such an educational guest we had a couple of weeks back, um, uh, just in terms of getting a sense of, well, his future, but also, I mean, he knows the Jets uh, as well as anybody as well. So, I mean, yeah, by all means, the boarding pass is an and, interesting and you listen. Grant, you had Grant Klitzum on today, um, who's, uh, I find him just really introspective about a lot of things. So I'm glad to see that he was on the podcast too. Oh man, I, I wrote like a quick Q&A with him a couple of weeks back about sort of some of the work he's doing to help athletes prepare for transitioning to after their career. And we must, like it was supposed to be a short interview, but he was so thoughtful. And so I think we talked for an hour and a half and I wrote 10 minutes of it for the Q&A, just the, the, the key parts, but he's so thoughtful, such an intelligent guy. I, um, yeah, no, no surprise he's having success in that field. And I almost, uh, you know, I lament the fact that I didn't get to cover him back when he was a, a jet. I, I wasn't around here yet. Well, it's a great lesson, like one of our favorites on jet centric. So, uh, definitely check out the boarding past, uh, Murat, be well, get some more doggos in your life, uh, down the road. <laughs> um, and we'll check back in with you in a few months. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Thanks for having me. I'm Kurt Gilback, and thank you for listening to the Jet Centric Broadcast.
I'm Kurt Gilback, and thank you for listening to the Jet Centric Broadcast. All right, that's it for the episode. Do have one last thing for you if you want to keep listening after I'm done jabbering here. I'll play for you the national anthem at Bell MTS, April 10th, 2019. This is against St. Louis Blues. Game one, I was fortunate enough to be in the building for it. Recorded the anthem. Kind of gives you chills, right? Maybe gets you a little excited for Jets hockey again. Did play it on an episode for uh, for the podcast back in June of 2019 as well. Uh, so anyhow, here here it is. Uh, thanks for listening if you've been made it this far. And uh, make sure you tell some friends. Go rate us on whatever it is. Retweet um, us and find us on Facebook too. We're, we're there a little bit. Um, and yeah, uh, anyhow, go just go. Here we go. <laughs>